0: Hi everyone, I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IAFC President in 2017 to 2018.
1: And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now a Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International,
0: or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the I Chiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you.
1: We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders to discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency.
0: Welcome to this special edition of the iCheese podcast series. There's not a fire department around, or EMS agency for that matter, that's not thinking about and considering alternatives to normal response operations involving uh, the COVID-19 crisis that is facing our country. We're fortunate that uh, we have some great guests today to visit with, uh, to visit with us and educate us. And uh, we're delighted to bring this special episode to you.
1: Yes, Tom, this is definitely unprecedented time, and these are um, this is new territory for all of us. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be with you here today. This is uh, Sheldon Gilbert, and I am the CEO of ESCI, former chief of the Alameda County Fire Department and we're I'm lucky to be joined today by two guests that are going to give us some great insight. We have uh, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Director of Office of Emergency Management and Operations at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary Green. And we also have uh, Chief John Sinclair, who is the chair of the ISCs Coronavirus Task Force. And they're both going to be able to uh, give us some insight and some takeaways today that will hopefully help us as we manage and work through these perilous and 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 very, very challenging times. So uh, I guess we'll start with uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary Green. Thank you for joining us and being a part of the podcast for iChiefs today. And um, maybe you can help us understand uh, how we should be planning, uh, fire and emergency agencies should be planning in terms of of impact and and what exactly we're up against as this pandemic moves forward.
2: Sure, good day and, and thanks for allowing me the opportunity to be with you today. Um, First, I I think um, unprecedented is the right term for what we're facing. Um, And the biggest single challenge that I think we have is overcoming fear and apprehension. Um, there's only one thing worse than dealing with the outbreak itself, and that's with fear and apprehension. And so making sure that we have accurate, scientifically based information, transparency, and in communication um, with all folks, including particularly with the first responder community, is going to be essential for us to get through this. With respect to the, how long this will take, you know, I've, I've heard estimates from a matter of weeks to a matter of months. I think the important thing to remember is that this is um, a marathon and not a sprint. And we have been preparing for pandemics and emerging infectious diseases for some years now. Um, This is the test. This is the time. Um, And we have the tools um, and the training to respond effectively. It is sometimes overwhelming and it's certainly daunting, um, but uh, we will get through this together.
1: Thank you, Deputy Director Green. From the from the first responder and the fire chief's perspective, um, weighing the national response and seeing that integrate down to the to the state and the local uh, regional response, what what are your ways of communicating all the way down to the first responders? And, and what should we, as fire chiefs and and uh, fire service executives, be doing to make sure we're getting the latest information and looking to the right places to get that timely information?
2: Sure, um, I, I think. First, I'd like to say that a lot of the response early in this outbreak was very Fed-centric and, and revolved mainly around the repatriation of uh, passengers from cruise ships and folks who were uh, living and working in, in China. Um, we've seen a shift, and now it's, it's an all-of-country response to this event. Um, and in our work early on, um, the success uh, that we had in repatriating folks and putting them in quarantine and getting them home, uh, we couldn't have done it without the support and um, engagement of state and local folks um, across the country. And I think that, you know, uh, as we move forward and move into this new realm or new part of the outbreak where this is a, uh, you know, community spread Um, and we're moving from a containment to mitigation, um, it's going to be really important that we continue to to shift, we're going to be shifting roles in some ways and that the feds don't necessarily have the lead on a lot of this stuff and all emergencies are local. And so it's really important that um, discussions like we're having today, um, sharing information, um, airing questions and concerns, and, and providing pointers to the right guidance. CDC has a great deal of guidance um, on their websites, and it's updated daily. Um, The trade groups and associations have been a great partner in helping to share the word about um, best practices uh, and what we should know, um, as well as it's been all over the television. I think CDC, the NIH, and others have done a really good job of providing information and guidance um, to the first responder community as well as the general public.
0: Well, I think that's fantastic, and those are a lot of good resources. Um, One of the things that, you know, this particular pandemic um, has at least highlighted for me is this idea of working together, that a lot of times things that are fire and EMS fit really good into one bucket, but this is something that's going to have ripple effects across, you know, just a lot of different disciplines, not to mention, of course, jurisdictions. From a federal government perspective, certainly you see a lot of alphabet soup agencies that you have to work with what advice could you give local emergency services leaders, local fire chiefs, about what they should be doing to, you know, reach across different disciplines or different jurisdictions? Any ideas or guidance or advice that you could offer them about that working together thing?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, and I think being intrusive and making sure that your voice is heard and you're represented at the table as part of the response being observant and knowing or, or trying to determine how the things that you and your staffs are doing have an impact either for good or for bad. One of the things that, that really troubles me is, is um, nursing homes. We've got a, a lot of susceptible people in nursing homes, folks who are older, folks that have comorbidities, they have uh, chronic health conditions, um, and they oftentimes have uh, their immunocompromised. And our folks, your folks, are in those facilities providing interfacility transfer or responding to nine one one calls, and the, how they address movement in the facility and how they deal with the transfer and cleanup of rigs after uh, transport is really essential. The the impact that that infection control and cleanliness has on mitigating the spread can't be overemphasized.
0: That's awesome, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. I want to pivot just for a second. and and talk to Chief John Sinclair. Now, for uh, those of you that don't know John that are listening, John, um, besides being the chair of this COVID-19 task force that was appointed by President Gary Ludwig, John's a close personal friend. Uh, He was a former IFC president in 2016 to 2017, but he's also somebody who I think I could affectionately describe as uh you know somebody who's he's passionate about these kinds of emerging infectious diseases I've, I've listened to you talk to me in restaurants and and bars before about um these sorts of topics and so i'm curious what what have what have you learned that the mainstream you know fire and ems community uh, might not know you know that might not be just just out there on those very sanitized fact sheets and guidelines what's the What's the bottom line that you're seeing leading this task force, John?
3: Well, thank you, Tom. And what you're affectionately calling me as a infectious disease nerd, and um, that's probably correct. (laughs) You said it, not me, though. You. It makes it easier Uh, for you. Yes, I understand. So uh, the the scope and the magnitude is what uh, the folks are having difficulty getting their hands around as as deputy assistant secretary green was just talking about we're in unprecedented times uh the closest that we've had um is really the tw- the uh, 1918 spanish flu um for what we're experiencing as as really a world um it's not just a us issue it's not just a North America issue. It's it's really a world issue. It's affecting everybody. So it's the it's the sort of scope and magnitude. It's um, you know what they teach you relative to the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act is is to get inside of that real orientation and begin to position yourself for future success. A lot of a lot of what um, we've seen is pushback from community about the social distancing, They people it to the flu. The issue here, um, just to cut through some of the science, is that um, this is different than the flu. We cannot treat it like the flu. We currently have no herd immunity to it, we currently have no ability to um to do a vaccine for this although there are very smart people working on a vaccine we don't have a vaccine um and um this is a a virus that is targeting the elderly it is targeting uh those that are sick and um you know what we're what we're seeing worldwide is that uh, the older you are, the death rate goes up. So this is truly one of those things that we're going to have to um, take serious. The other issue, and I realize that people are tired of listening to this, but flattening the curve is really, really important. So the social distancing. What we're trying to do is help the docs, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, the EMS folks out there um, save more lives because we have a limited amount of hospital beds in this country. We have a limited amount of ventilators, and as we have uh, found out in Italy, um, they've run out of hospital beds, they've run out of ventilators, and they're making very difficult medical choices, effectively medical triage, and we don't want to get to that in this country. So we've got to take this serious as a fire service, and we have to take it serious um, as certainly a country in North America.
1: That's that's some great, Council Chief, and, and I know that everybody is a, a sponge right now trying to absorb all this and, and, and take it in. I'd, I'd like to go back to Deputy Assistant Secretary Green real quick with a, with a similar follow-up question. As we talk about how best to address this with the public and the personnel in our communities and best practices, Uh, we can't help but notice that things are changing. This is a real-time situation that's evolving and it is unprecedented, as you said early on. So as some of the uh, isolation or self-quarantine or community quarantine uh, methods change and some of the statistics and some of the findings that's happening at the national level as it relates to treatment and ultimately cure and or um, being able to um, immunize against this, where can fire chiefs and, and fire service and EMS professionals go to get the most up-to-date and good information so that we can stay on the front end of the curve so that when we're asked by elected officials and our community members, we have the right information to help them make policy-level decisions?
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical, and, and some of the comments um, spot on flattening the curve is, is how we're going to get through the limitations of our health care system. Um, you know, before I direct... To resources, I think it's really important um, a lot of times when you talk to somebody, a scientist about this outbreak or this disease they 'll start the conversation off by saying there's a lot we don 't know about this illness, and that's very true, but when you get a bunch of medics around the table and you start the conversation off by saying there's a lot you don't know, then whatever else comes out of your mouth after that has less value so I try to start the conversation by saying, we do know a lot about viruses. We know more and more about this particular one every day. And what we also know is that good public health practice and infection control procedures, if done appropriately and effectively, are very good against transmission. And so the ideas about, mitigation and reducing uh, close contact and the telework and canceling of events, non-pharmaceutical interventions in the absence of a, uh, a vaccine is very, very appropriate and very, very effective. It's inconvenient, but it works. In terms of the body of information that we get about this disease, there are a whole host of great sites. The CDC updates their sites on a daily basis. Here at the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, ASPR, Asper Tracy, T-R-A-C-I-E, is another location where information and best practices are often shared. We work closely with uh, the folks at the Department of Transportation and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration on making sure that the latest and best information is made available to the EMS um, constituency, and working through our hospital preparedness program, which, by the way, Uh, EMS are are mandated to be part of the healthcare coalitions as part of that program, sharing information through the healthcare coalitions is an essential and important way to get the best information to your folks. And I'd urge your association as well as others, the trade groups um, and professional organizations that represent first responders to constantly be seeking out the best uh, information, pointing members to the sites that have validated information and make sure that you're asking us um, to provide uh, updated training and education uh, so that folks in the field have the information they need to be safe. I'm a 30-year paramedic myself, so there's nothing more important to me than the health and safety of our first responders. And so if there's information that your folks are not getting, that questions are not being answered, we need to know about that and we need to fix it because you guys are on the front lines.
1: Thank you, Deputy well, I know Secretary Green, and it's good good to know that we have uh, friends and paramedics in high places that are helping us on this. And um, I just wanted to pivot one more time to um, Chief Sinclair. Uh, as the chair of the IAFC Coronavirus Task Force, you guys have come up with a guide for coronavirus planning and response, and you did a webinar a couple days ago that had some really powerful takeaways that I think are very impactful and insightful for for the fire service and EMS professionals listening to the podcast. So could you take a couple minutes maybe running us through that, that planning and response guide, how you got there, and, the, and and perhaps some of the takeaways from the webinar and and um, let us know uh, what, what's available out there as it relates to what you've done. You've done a lot of great work.
3: Absolutely. And, and thank you. Uh, the first thing that I would do is say to the fire service is go back to the IFC's, COVID-19 webpage on a frequent basis. We are um, constantly improving the information flow there. We do have a, um, a part of that that is a dashboard showing those people that have been Um, quarantined isolated tested positive Um, as of when I checked it about an hour ago we had about 924 uh, responders in the system across the the United States and Canada that had been quarantined so and when you look at the map um, you see that these are people all over the country all over um, Canada, so you know as we respond to this, um, we put this uh, group together, and it 's all elements of the of the IFC, including safety health and survival section, the EMS section, the hazardous materials committee, the uh, metro section vcos section um, and what we tried to do, the Technology Council, um, and then we also brought in outside resources. We have somebody from the U.S. Fire Administration. We have NHTSA listening in. We've opened up to HHS Asper to listen in and comment. Um, We have somebody from the supply chain that is there. Um, We have a representative from Global Medical Response, there to talk about um their involvement in it, and so what we've tried to do is is have a multidisciplinary
2: um cross
3: pollinization team that is looking at this first thing that we came out with was vetting all of the um dispatch criteria the the pre arrival instructions uh the Um, information that was being sent out to our folks so that um, on that initial 911 call we would have the proper information so we got that out there so that fire chiefs could share that with their dispatch centers to make sure that the proper questions were being asked and um, so that our responders are getting the um, greatest amount of lead time that there may be an issue there Certainly, those questions are in flux. Um, you know, recent travel had been one of the questions. Now that we're in community spread, that is less and less of an urgent question. But um, what we're trying to do is change the document as new science presents itself. The next piece of the document really talks about uh, the quarantine issues. Um, the isolation issues and what should we be doing? What are the best practices? Again, that will likely evolve over time. Um, as we look at our operational piece of this, um, and one of the reasons that we're trying to track the the number of people that are in quarantine or isolation, is that, um, you know, in in the state of Washington, uh, the Kirkland Fire Department, the Redmond Fire Department, the Woodinville Fire Department um, were some of the first to come across this and be exposed and um, they put their folks into quarantine. Well, at one point they had up to 30 percent of their overall workforce in quarantine from the Kirkland Fire Department. Well, at some point that begins to attrit your operational capabilities so what do you do Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to look at is okay we're following cdc hhs guidelines but over time those guidelines will change as we learn more and more about the disease same sort of thing happened in toronto during the SARS outbreak they were isolating they were quarantining uh, for those people that had been exposed, and over time they realized that they could put people back to work, have them wear a mask, if they were asymptomatic, if they had tested negative for the disease, um, and they were um, and they weren't showing signs. So we'll see that occur. One of the <clears throat> one of the big thrusts for us right now, working with the task force, is getting decontamination procedures, not just cleaning, but decontamination procedures for our PPE. Obviously, a lot of our PPE is disposable, but um, we're looking at bunker gear, station uniforms, things like that. What is the best way to clean that? An SCBA, um, if we go into a fire and um, you know, we don't want to transmit that to somebody else. What is the best way to de- um, to clean and, um, and sanitize a, an SCBA mask? So we're getting that. We should have that guidance out by next week. So the task force is a very active task force. We are taking a look at the best available science. We are tapping into the World Health Organization CDC and all of the experts were on the calls with uh, NHTSA twice a week so we're trying to get the greatest amount of information synthesize it and get it out on our website to the members as appropriate we'll do member alerts but I would urge the fire service to check back to that website on a regular basis the other group that we're working closely with is the IFF, and um, obviously the IFF is working very diligently on this, and so we're sharing information and sharing science back and forth. I knew that uh,
0: I knew that when you were appointed, that you'd go in there with some, you know, knowledge
3: and the background to
0: make you know the task force a success. Because there's a lot of it's every day. Um, oftentimes several times an hour that you know, I'm getting pinged by other fire chiefs about what our procedures are if we have somebody that we think's exposed and just all these, these questions and derivatives. And it's good to know that there's resources out there. And, Jonathan, uh, I know I speak for both Sheldon and I when I say I'm so I'm – I'm, I'm, I think it's so awesome that you're a, a 30-year paramedic and somebody who likely understands what it's like out there uh, with these, you know, these local problems, disasters are local, like you said, and so we appreciate you. Um, before I let both of you go, though, we always like to end with a little bit of a takeaway, and so I'd like for you all, you know, briefly, but you know, we've got fire chiefs listening in. If this is anything like the webinar they did on COVID nineteen, uh, there's very little doubt in my mind this is going to be a this is going to be a popular podcast, and and I, they know where they can go work for resources. They understand the. You know, the background on the virus and likely how it spreads and what they need to do. So what are some – just give us some, you know, a quick takeaway each that that if you, could, if you could insert something into the brains of fire chiefs out there that are on the front lines that are trying to take care of their people and the community at the same time, what, what do you have for them? What would you suggest? What would you want them to know uh, from your standpoint? Jonathan, if, if it's good with you, I'd like to start
2: with you. Sure, no, thank you, and it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you today. Yeah, my, my takeaway for for chiefs out there and dealing with their own folks, trying to take care of them as well as the general public, there, there's so much fear, apprehension, um, that folks are, are like hunkering down and they feel like they're hiding in the basement. It's really important that each one of us, chiefs, members, and members of the general public, find a way to get themselves up out of the basement so that they can get up on the first floor and deal with things that need to be dealt with. And for each one of us, it's different. We gotta find the tools that help us get out of the basement. Um, For most people, effective, clear, transparent communication helps, as well as having information that helps people make a difference, understanding their role, and helping them engage and do their job. We are gonna get through this. This too shall pass. and the right people there are very smart people uh, working in all quarters of government and private industry and in universities all over the world looking to bring tools for us to do our jobs we need to trust them we need to work with them and use the interventions that we know that work um, and help everyone climb out of the basement
0: i like that you said that this too will pass and uh, you think of SARS and MERS and Ebola and, you know, H1N1. And, yes, it's good to know that while this is uncharted territory and this is a big deal that we will get through this and we'll likely be stronger for it. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, and I appreciate the positivity. I think we need a little bit of that. John, my brother, uh, final takeaway. What what would you tell all your fellow members of our association and those that are just listening because they, uh, they want to be involved? What do, we, what do they need to know?
3: Well, my, my advice is simple, and that is Semper Gumby, um, which stands for Always Flexible. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that this is an incredibly dynamic situation. While a lot is known, um, what we don't know is where this is going to hotspot next. Um, the very nature of pandemics and these types of events is that they do hotspot um there will be a area that is greatly affected other areas won't be affected much at all as our social distancing and our flattening of the curve and and the practices that um you know the government is imposing at the at the national um and at the state level we're looking at um a an event that people will learn from and they will take away from the the thing that I want to make sure that everybody keeps in the back of your mind is supply chain. We're going to be looking at this and analyzing it from a you know, three years from now as to as as we're doing the after action is that did we have adequate supply chain? Did we make some strategic mistakes along the way of outsourcing so much of our manufacturing? Um, and those are, those are fairly high-level discussions that will need to be happening. The big issue is that um, you know, we can predict that these types of events are going to happen, and so we need to prepare for them. And I know that preparation is down on everybody's list, but you've got fire departments out there that are scrambling for masks for their personnel, and um, it's because um, they didn't have adequate supply chain, um, we didn't have adequate supply chain, and so they're having to be innovative. So that's, that's the thing, is take the lessons from this when we're over it and apply it to the future. And it is, it's going to take some creative thinking, it's going to take some innovation, um, and people are going to have to maintain their situational awareness as we move forward on this.
0: Well, Deputy Assistant Secretary Green, Chief Sinclair, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you to... Uh, our fire service members And members of the association Who have joined us in listening Certainly this may not be the last time we visit This topic but uh, takes action And it takes information And, uh, and also um, you know Hopefully we'll have some good outcomes From this in the long term And such a uh, you know just a terrible situation So thank you both for joining us And thank you for all of you for joining uh, Us on the podcast as well Thank
3: you Thank you
0: Thank you for joining us for this iCheese podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes,
1: or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month.